Welcome to the Truth is Golden podcast, uncovering the truth behind creative people's success. In episode number one, we interviewed Joe Prendergast, vice president at Muso, an innovative furniture company based out of Chicago. Join us to listen to the whole story and enjoy. Thanks, Joe, for being on the podcast. Today, we have Joe Prendergast from Muso. And hello. hello. And uh, we're going to ask him a bunch of questions about uh, his company. And so why don't we jump right into it? And uh, I'd like you to describe the company to a listener and picture someone who doesn't know anything about Muso and describe it in a nutshell. Absolutely. So um, very basically, Muso provides furniture for commercial and education environments. Um, but in our view, it goes so much deeper than that because we're really trying to help our clients specify the correct furniture for their space to make sure they're getting the most out of that space. So on the commercial side, it could be a meeting and training room where you want to make sure your employees get the most out of that meeting or training session that's at hand. And on the education side, whether it's classroom furniture or breakout furniture, we want to make sure the students are getting the best education in that environment possible. So in a nutshell, what you're telling us is that it's about uh, providing conducive work and teaching environments for people to thrive. Absolutely, yeah. So what we're saying is it's not just about the aesthetic of the furniture, it's about the function of that furniture, and it really needs to function exactly for the, the classroom or the lesson or the training or the meeting at hand rather than just looking good in that space for an aesthetic purpose. So can you describe how that, um, how Muso came about and how it was created? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Muso is originally a UK company. We've actually been out in the US now for um, five or six years, but in, uh, in total we've been in business for about 16 years. Um, and really it was a, a client of, of ours back in the day that... Um, wanted more functional furniture, um, actually just goes back to what I was saying, they had this really nice looking furniture, but it just wasn't working for how their, their business model um, worked. Um, and it really came down to mobility and flexibility within that space. So they had a lot of fixed furniture um, and they were wanting to mix it up and they were wanting to use the space for a multitude of different purposes and they couldn't do that. So as a, as a very quick example, they had a conference room um, that had a big boardroom table in there, very beautiful mahogany boardroom table. Um, and I think it seated something like 30 people, but that's all it did. And when we asked him how often he used that boardroom table with 30 people, he said, if I'm honest, probably only once a year. The majority of the time it's for small, small groups or small uh, meetings and that kind of thing. Um, but the, the funny thing was, so he had this giant um, meeting room but for their training sessions where they needed to break out into different groups and that kind of thing, they didn't have the space. So he was having to um, pay for a coach to pick up his employees and take them to a hotel like a Marriott down the street where they would rent out a function room and do all their training in that space over there. So we were saying that his offices were a completely underutilized space with regards to real estate. You know, that boardroom, he was still paying for the, the electric to light it. He was still paying for the air conditioning, all this kind of stuff. Yet, he wasn't using that room. He was paying for a coach to take his employees down to another um, another hotel down the street. So, we started to look at that and, re and re really evaluate the use of real estate when it came to, to offices. Um, and what we found was that was a very common thing. 
that people were having these fixed pieces of furniture that just weren't working for the as the biz, as the business model um, evolved over time. So um, our head designer Mike went away and really um, looked into how we could improve that. And actually, with a lot of market research and we did employee reviews and questionnaires and that kind of thing, um, we we came up with with a mobile product that we now call the Kite Table System um, that you'll be able to see on our website if um, if that's part of the podcast later on. So. Um, the, the kite system then uh, was based on like a, a standard flip top meeting and training table. But that's where the market research and the feedback from clients came in. Um, and we basically found that, that flip top tables that were on the market at that time just, again, weren't, weren't functioning in a way that was conducive to those environments. So essentially what Mike did was um, it created a checklist of kind of things that were wrong with, with meeting and training products. Um, and then designed the kite system to essentially tick all those boxes. Um, so the funny thing was that you know the kite system was developed, at least a prototype was developed for that. Um, and before we could even show it to, to this client, another client came in and saw the prototype and was like, "This is exactly what I've been looking for." <laughs> so without even without even showing it to the, the initial client, we already had a second client on board, um, and essentially the you know the company grew from there. Um, and as the company's grown now, we, we operate all over the world. We're here in the US, we're in the UK and Europe, and we're also out in the Asia Pacific market too. The thing that we've, we've kept consistent as we've introduced new products to our range um, is that authenticity of going back to our clients and using their feedback to design the product. So that's one thing we're, we're quite proud of is that we never just introduce a new product for the sake of it. We're always looking at um, what customers are struggling with and, and what issues they're having, and then we'll develop a product on the back of that. Um, so again, as another quick example, our Waltzer product is a high-back acoustic sofa product for kind of common or, or um, public areas. Um, and we found issues with other high-back sofas on the market. So once again, Mike went away with his checklist and, and essentially designed the Waltzer product to tick all the boxes of those issues with other high-back sofas. And Waltzer now is a mobile high-back sofa, so it sits on casters, it can move around and be reconfigured, and it really fits with our um, kind of mantra of being able to, to use a space for multiple uses rather than just having fixed furniture that doesn't move around. So that's kind of a common thread as you look through the, the Muso portfolio of the, the products that we offer. Um, so yeah, I think that hopefully answers your question very briefly, but in summary, um, We've gone from a small, it was actually Mike and Darren were our two original owners in the, the north of England, um, to now a, an international company operating um, all over the world. So we're quite proud of that, that growth and still maintain that, that family business um, kind of corporate culture, which is nice. And so I love the fact that uh, as, as designers in the design industry, people are always talking about how uh, they came up with an idea by looking at... Uh, a pain that a client might have been experiencing or some problem they've identified that nobody has solved before. And I love how this is what you do on a consistent basis uh, by getting feedback from your customers. Are there any challenges associated with that uh, workflow? With regard to introducing those products to customers, you mean? Or working with customers to get feedback from them. Um, sure, there's always, there's always challenges and all that kind of thing, but actually 
that's that's probably one of the, the parts of the, the company I enjoy the most or the parts of my job I enjoy the most because um, there's nothing better than getting kind of right into the into the weeds with these guys um, as an example again so if you look at the corporate side of things you often get um, owners of businesses who have an idea of how they want something to be but they don't necessarily have the skills or expertise to, to kind of carry that out so we actually prefer talking to like the facilities managers those are the ones that are, are, are really responsible for making that space work um, and of course then like department heads and managers and that kind of thing and it's really interesting to speak to more than one person within the organization because you get different perspectives from each you know what person a thinks is the most important might be on the flip side of the coin to what person B thinks the most important. So you've really got to take that into consideration too with the with the designs that you've really got to try and make it work for everyone. But really the, the kind of common core or the bottom line is that you want it to work for the employees. So just to go back to the, the tables again, um, one of the things we did with the kite system was guarantee 30 inches of space for each user. And that wasn't something that anyone else at the time could offer. Um, meeting and training tables, flip-top tables were renowned for just squeezing as many people as possible around a, um, a, a you know a configuration. And we said, well, no, we want we want each user to be comfortable and to be able to concentrate on that meeting or training session at hand, rather than being squeezed around a space. Whereas that may have been on the flip side of the coin to the manager who was like, okay, we need to fit 30 people in this room and that's it. So that kind of balance between well. I understand that you want as many people as possible to fit in this space, but we don't want to cram them in like sardines. We want to make sure those employees are comfortable because at the end of the day, that means they're not distracted. They can concentrate and hopefully the productivity then will increase within that space. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. So you guys have come up with um, a concept called new ways of working. Can you uh, explain uh, what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's actually a couple of different things in, in one, really. Um, a few years ago, the, the open plan office concept um, kind of really, really took, um, took over. Um, but it, it doesn't work for, for everyone. Um, and the funny thing is we've, we've been working with kind of open plans in Europe for, for the last decade or so. So it really goes back to the, the functionality of the product and the new ways of working means being able to use a single space for a multitude of different uses and being able to adapt that space for different uses so each one works as well as each other. Um, <clears throat> as an example, again, if you, if you just take the meeting and training room, depending on what sort of, of meeting and training is at hand, you're going to want to be able to, to reconfigure that space. And back in the day, maybe it's, maybe it's a little different now, but, but five years ago or so, When you went into a meeting and training space, it was rows of rectangle flip-top tables. And yes, they may be able to you know, move them around to, to create different things, but they were really essentially developed for rows, and then you could change them, and, and you know, each other configuration wasn't as adaptable as that, that first one. When we designed the, the kite system, we wanted to make sure that you could rearrange your space for exactly how it needed to be used. So whether that's small group settings, one large conference setting, a classroom style, or even being able to flip and nest those tables away and have it as a, a theater style with seating for a presentation or something like that. We wanted each of those configurations um, to <clears throat> be as functional as the next. So that was what we were really conscious of um, with our design. 
Um, other new ways of working that we looked at, again, just to, to highlight the, the Waltzer sofa rather than go, go off on all the products, I'll stick with these um, these two. So the Waltzer sofa in was, was becoming prevalent in kind of these open plan office spaces because the high back gave acoustic privacy so two people could meet or four people could meet and have a have a conversation without distracting the rest of the open plan office. Um, but the problem was these these high back sofas were heavy. They were cumbersome, so they couldn't be moved. So when the, the space was designed, they were put in one part of the room and that's where they would stay. And what we were saying with the new ways of working is that you need to be able to adapt all the space, not just one um, element of it. So that's why we put our high back sofas on casters so you could move them around. Um, and reconfigure them in different ways. And as an example, we work with um, a lot of tech startups and tech companies, um, and they're very um, kind of energetic environments, and they need to work in different areas. They don't just sit at their desk all day. They're they're off here, they're there, they're everywhere. Um, and one of the things was when they were on their phone, they needed somewhere to, to go make a phone call. Um, and what we found, they were actually using the, the waltz or the high-back sofa they were moving it away from its um, original position and actually placing it towards the windows. So this was in a city, so they had floor-to-ceiling windows and they could look out um, over the city. And they would actually face the sofa facing out towards the city and make that phone call so the rest of the office was behind them and that was acoustically, you know, it was a private, acoustically private thing, so that conversation didn't, didn't um, disseminate throughout the, the office. Um, so these are kind of all examples of, of what we mean by new ways of working, um, is that we're not just doing cookie cutter, the kind of same as what everyone else is doing. Um, it goes back to, to really listening to our clients and um, understanding how they want to work in, in the modern office environment. And so being familiar with your products, because I've, I've seen them for a while now and, and looked at them in detail, I'm fascinated by uh, the caster that you've mentioned a couple of mm -hmm. times. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that particular design? Yeah, absolutely. So probably the, the caster for me is is the thing that um, I'm most proud of and, and probably the thing that I think our designers are, are most proud of. So when we first started working, when the, when the kite system, which is the flip-top table, was first developed, we were using an off-the-shelf caster that we were buying in from a, a caster company. And we quickly found that those casters weren't up to the challenge in some of these modern um, meeting and training scenarios as an example when you you know the brake that, that locks or unlocks the, the caster wheels um, was often quite fragile and flip-top tables don't really have any ownership it's usually a, a maintenance guy a facilities guy or someone that's coming in just to reconfigure the tables quickly and then maybe don't quite give it the same level of care as they would for their you know task chair for their desk or something like that so we were finding that these brakes were snapping off um, quite regularly and they were causing some health and safety issues, um, and they, they, they just weren't living up to the, the challenge. And then secondly, um, was that when you locked the casters down, it didn't really do enough to hold the table in place. Um, to stick with the flip-top table um, analogy, when you pull those, those tables together in a given configuration, most of our competitors have to use a linking or ganging device underneath the table to hold them together. So once again, we, we kind of made a list of all these issues and we went away and designed what we call the dual caster, the dual locking caster. And we now have a patent pending on this design. Um, and basically what it means is when you engage the brake, it stops the wheel rotation backwards and forwards as any caster would. Um, but the dual locking feature 
means that when you engage the brake, it stops the wheels and the axis movement, which is kind of the side-to-side or swivel rotation of the caster, um, which may be a little bit difficult to explain just by our audio, but we have some um, videos on our website that, that showcase that. And essentially what it means is when you engage that brake, the caster becomes like a, like a foot, like a fixed um, leg on the table. So you can have this mobile table that wheels around your space, but when you lock all four casters down, it holds it in place as if it was a fixed piece of furniture. And then secondly, um, it was about the strength of the caster. So we designed it to be a very durable caster, and the brake is actually built into the, the, the section of the caster um, rather than just being an additional piece on the end. So it's very difficult to snap that brake off. Um, and that's one of the reasons now why we, we offer the 10-year warranty on that, that caster as well. So, um, you know, funnily enough, it, it works so well on those those kite flip-top tables. Um, we now use it across a lot of products in our portfolio, from the, the Waltzer high-back sofa that we've talked about, our flow screen room divider products, um, our Modia unit, which is kind of a mobile presentation unit, um, and several others as well. And the great thing is, you know, we've been offering this caster since we set up in the US in 2010, um, and I think we've maybe had four or five that have ever had issues in that time. Um, and again, because they're under warranty, we can just send out a replacement. But that's really testament to the, the design and the quality and the, the strength of that caster. Um, so, yeah, like I said, that's something that we, we're quite proud of and, and sets us apart from everyone else on the market. So on a personal level, what is your favorite product? Ooh, that's a great that's a great question. I don't think I've uh, I don't know if I've ever been asked that. I think I would say my favorite product is um, it's what we call our Versatilis table, and the name comes from um, the fact that it's a very versatile product. And this might be another difficult one to to explain just via audio, but the the um, kind of origins of, of Versatilis came from the kite flip top table which we designed to be specific sizes. You know, I mentioned each user having 30 inches of defined space. So as you can imagine, each of the designs, like we have a, a 60 by 30 rectangle, for example, where you could seat two people down one side or one person on mm -hmm. the edge. Mm -hmm. But we were constantly asked by designers, you know, can you do bigger tables? Can you do wider tables? Can you do longer tables? So Versatilis is a frame design that can be modified um, to any length in our warehouse when we're making it. Um, to really open up doors for, for different designers, but it's not considered a custom product. So just to give you an example of that, we, we, you know, we've worked with um, Harvard University recently, and they um, introduced what they called their Life Lab, which was essentially a co-working space for um, kind of MBA students and grad students to uh, almost like an incubator type thing. Mm -hmm. um, and the designer, the design firm that worked with that had this idea for these, um, I think they were like 48 by 24 inch tables. Um, and they, they knew that's what they wanted in this space. So they weren't coming to us saying, you know, we like this product. They were coming to us saying, I need these tables. Can you manufacture them to this size? So with the Versatilis frame, what we can do is we can cut down the rail length and, and slot it into steel corner sections and create a rectangle frame that fits um, a 48 by 24 inch tabletop. And we work with a variety of, of top suppliers here in the US. Um, this particular one, they wanted like a real wood oak top on there, so they looked beautiful. Um, but we, you know, we've done everything from steel wrapped tabletops for kind of veterinary 
schools. We've done um, chemical resistant tops for um, science labs. Um, and we've done even um, Corian tops for some of our corporate clients as well. The point being is that um, the frame is incredibly strong. Um, and it also matches the aesthetic of our folding tables as well. So we now have clients who can mix and match between the flip and nest tables and these fixed frame tables for a variety of, um, of different uses. Um, and the cool thing is, too, it, it combines with the, the caster that I was just talking about, the dual caster. So as another example, we do a lot of what's called um, maker spaces. If any of the listeners are familiar with maker spaces in education environments, it's where students are, um, are working with their hands on different things. So they may have um, an assignment to, to build a, a certain product. Um, and so these makerspaces are quite high impact environments, so they need to be, to be sturdy. Um, and the Versatilis frame offers the strength, obviously, that we just talked about. But when you have the casters as well, you can lock those casters down and that table doesn't move. Um, and an interesting use that I heard feedback from one of our clients was that they were having, um, it was a robotics class and the robot had to move, you know, across three different tables. They lined three tables up together and, and walked this robot, um, across these tables and the tables that they had previously, they couldn't do that because once the robot started moving, it was wobbling the table around and a, and a gap would be created between the two tables. Um, and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't walk these tables. But with our tables, the Versatilis, when you lock the casters down, it holds them in place. Um, and they were actually able to have these like robot races around the, the classroom where they'd have two robots and they'd both set off and whoever got to the finish line first won. Um, and it was it was cool because it, it sounded awesome anyway. Um, but the fact that, you know, our our products helped that happen um, was just really cool. It was it was cool feedback to, to hear from the school. So. Um, yeah, with that said, just because you can do so much with it, I think Versatilis would be would be my favorite product. Yeah, and that story you just told is very interesting in the sense that this is what good design is about. It's about enabling the users to be creative and come up with new ways of using the product that you might not have envisioned. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it seems to me that this very story is probably the best reward you could get from for doing that product. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just interesting when, you know, you, you feel like the the company's designed designed this product, and we we're like, okay, this is what it this is what it does. This is how it's to be used. But so often, then we have you know feedback or photographs or um, comments from our users who are who are doing something completely different with it. Um, it's it's really cool. We have another product um, available on our website that I think you're familiar with called the Rivelli. Um, shelf system, which was designed by a friend of mine, Mark Kinsley, in Chicago, who I, who I think you've also met. I know. Um, I have, yeah. And that's um, it's a it's a flip shelf um, product that has you know customizable graphics on there, and it has these peelable graphics on there. And we offer like a whiteboard panel, and in our minds, we would do that all the shelves these whiteboard panels. So so Rivelli is made up of a, a grid of these individual 16 inch by nine inch shells, but the grid can be huge. So we're thinking we offer this, you know, whiteboard panel so people can make notes on there and, you know, use it just like a, a whiteboard. Um, but it turns out people were using it because it's a, a functional shelf too. They would flip down one of the shelves and sit like, um, in one of the examples, it was a sneaker company and they would sit one of the sneakers on the shelf. And then the adjacent shelf, they would have flipped up with the whiteboard panel and they would write notes about that that product on there and it wasn't something that we'd you know we'd ever thought of we were thinking okay they'll have all the all the shelves flipped up and use the whiteboard 
or they'll flip some of them down and use them. You know, primarily they're used to house company awards or books or brochures and that kind of thing. So it was a really unique and interesting way of, of using the product that we hadn't really considered when it was first designed. But now, of course, we've incorporated it into all the marketing as <laughs> just another function of the, this awesome product. So, um, yeah, so it's really cool to get that, that kind of feedback. So how would you describe the position of Muso in the uh, corporate and educational furniture market? Yeah, so I think that the easiest way to describe it is as like a, a, t a two-pronged approach, really. We have the, the corporate side, um, which is completely different to the, the education side. And we work with, um, with different design, design firms or designers within design firms who specialize in those areas. So, you know, we're, we're working with people who are familiar with designing education spaces and we're working with them to, you know, fit the product best in that space. Or on the corporate side, we're working with designers that, you know, really work with, with specifying products for, for corporate spaces. But it's interesting now with, you know, the way, with the way things are going, um, there's, there's very much a hybrid between both of these spaces. And you're seeing a lot of kind of residential influence in them too, especially you know with some of these um, some of these kind of tech companies are um, you know like the the Google's, Apple, um, LinkedIn, Salesforce, these kind of these kind of companies who have these open plan areas, but they have so many different kind of I don't even know if you'd call them departments, but zones within that um, within their space where you know their employees can work on their laptop at their desk or they can have a meeting in a huddle room area or they can sit on the, you know, the, the sofa um, area or they can go and, you know, play ping pong in the ping pong area, have a drink at the bar. It's uh, it's really interesting how some of these people have, have started using these spaces. Um, so so we're really, you know, we're, we have our um, our mind in the, the functionality of the product area. Um, but really, the kind of the design of the space is still is still down to those designers. So we make sure we work closely with those guys to make sure that our products fit within the overall scope um, of the space. Um, and the same goes on the, the education side. Really, you know, when these guys are designing a full a full school, we have a, a wide variety of, of products available to to fit in that space. But we, you know, we don't offer everything, and we don't want to to offer everything. We want to be kind of experts in a certain area of that, if you will. Um, so we just want to make sure that our products fit within the overall scope of the space, both on the education and the corporate side. Um, but I think I digressed slightly there, but to answer your question, um, you know, we want to be the go-to with some of these design firms as we go to market um, with regard to mobile products, collaborative products, um, flexible products, that kind of thing. I think... Um, collaborations become a bit of a, a buzzword or a, a cliche word really but we've really been kind of focusing on collaborative areas for the past 15 years um, and we would consider our expert uh, consider ourselves experts if um, you know if a company is looking to to improve their collaborative environments um, we hope they're the we're the ones that they go to or at least we hope that the design firms then come to us for those spaces so taking into consideration what you just said about uh, being the collaboration specialist, so to speak, are there cl clients that you're, you'd be ready to say no to in the sense that you've identified that they might not be in the right uh, market or you might not be the right furniture company? And or is that something you're willing to do? That's, that's actually a great question. Um... I don't know if I don't know if I would say that 
to that extent um, that we wouldn't, you know, if they were if they weren't willing to work in the way that we wanted, we we wouldn't sell to them. I don't think it goes quite that far, but um, we basically try to to lend our expertise and, and educate these people on on the way we think it should be done. Um, if they want to, you know, accept that that that's exactly that's awesome. That's what we want. Um, if they want to go another way, but still, you know, still use our, our clients, we're obviously not going to be turning down business anytime soon. Um, so really what we want to do is try and educate both the designers, the design firms, the, 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 the office furniture dealerships, and ultimately the, the end user on how we think is the best way to, as an example, meet and train. So we, we think that we know the best way to, you know, set up your meeting and training rooms to get the most out of uh, the most productivity out of those meeting and trainings because of the work we've done with with clients over the past you know decade or so. Um, having said that, we're always also learning from clients, you know, with with the improvements in in technology. And there's there's always new software and different ways of, of, of doing things with regards to video conferencing and that kind of thing. Um, so we're always learning from that respect, too. But. No, I don't think I don't think we would ever turn down business because they they didn't want to do it the way we wanted. Um, but we always just like to lend our lend our opinion on on the way we think the those environments should be laid out. So in that respect, um, beyond the experience of working with different types of clients and learning from those experiences, do you guys do any form of R and D? Yeah, we do. Um, primarily, we actually uh, we do a lot of that in in Europe as well, but um, also here in the U.S. Where um, you know we're working with a lot of of different experts in in different areas, and actually a lot of it comes through our um, the distributors that we work with as well. Who um, you know, there's a lot of different distributors. We you know dealers as we call them out there, and there are some that are quite reactive or just responsive in that you know a client may come to them and say i need 10 flip top tables and they'll just say okay we've got one at the highest price point one at the mid price point and one at the the lowest price point but we have also um distributors or dealerships that are really going into these spaces and seeing you know how how they work and how they should be used and those we work with those dealerships in a much better way where we can go back in there and say you know Here's how you. Here's how you should be. You know why? Why do you want those tables? Here's how we think you should be using that space. Um, but of course, on the on the flip side, yeah, we're always um, doing research into again how as a, as a, on the education side, how the classroom has changed over the last ten years um, is incredible. You know, it's gone from nearly every school just being in in lines in in row seats with a teacher at the front, um, almost lecture style, to really project. Based work and these, you know, these students are really working together, um, and and that's the way that ideas flow. And that the students really, I mean, the, the the educator, sorry, is really there as more of a facilitator, going from group to group to making sure, you know, they're on task and they're doing the right thing. But it's really a lot more about allowing the students to kind of experience this themselves, rather than just kind of dictating what they should be um, learning and and just talking to them about it. So that's, again, another example where, you know, our research isn't really into kind of how should these teachers be teaching the students, but we're really looking at how how this is evolving and how we can help facilitate that through the use of our furniture. Um, But, yeah, that's all through R&D for sure. So the uh, DNA of your company is deeply ingrained in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us 
uh, a little bit more about how the founders came from the music industry to the design and furniture industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're we're glad that it has because um, it just it, it makes you know life more fun for all of us. I think there's there's just coincidentally a large portion of of the employees at Muso are musicians and have a music background. Um, myself included. You know, I grew up playing bass guitar and still still play whenever I can. Um, but Darren and Mike, the two founders of the business, um, Darren was actually involved in the in the music industry for a long time. Um, and he and Mike worked together at another furniture company. Um, and Mike has been a musician all his life. So he was in bands and that kind of thing. And that's that's really how they got along before the, the business started. Um, so then when they, you know, they went into the, the furniture business, Darren still kept some of his um, his music businesses on the side that he was involved in um, and, and still is to this day. Um, so so that was the music element was really kind of a foundational part of our company culture and 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 the brand really um a lot of you know back in the early days they were known as the musicians more than they were the the furniture guys so over the over time as that's grown and evolved we've they've really tried to keep that um that music element within the the business so um because of darren's connections you know we often have events um that we that we host for all our clients and we're able to bring in you know high quality uh, musicians um, as an example, as I, as I talk to you now, um, Neocon was just this week, actually, we just wrapped up on, on Wednesday. So we have our showroom in Chicago. Um, and obviously everyone is in Chicago for, for Neocon. So we actually flew in, um, a musician called Beth McCarthy, who's from the UK. She's from, um, York and she was actually a finalist on the voice a couple of years ago. Um, and she came over and did some acoustic guitar sessions in our showroom, um, every evening. Um, so that people could come in and you know see products, but then also kind of have a fun time. Um, so it's really nice to to be able to to bring over these really high quality musicians and and really give our our clients a real experience in our space um, rather than it just being kind of a, a hired gun musician type thing. Um, but also that that music influence um, has also been helpful working within you know the office environment because. As musicians, we we understand acoustics primarily. So whether we're working in recording studios or different venues, all have different acoustic qualities. Um, and that same thing kind of um, goes through into the office too. So again, we talked about open plan offices. One of the downsides of an open plan office is that um, sound can reverberate and move around the space very quickly and it be can become difficult to make a phone call or concentrate. And that's why you see a lot of them with, with headphones on now. So we introduced a product called Cabana, um, which again, you can see on our website, which is essentially like an acoustically sound um, room that you can go in and, and make a phone call. And you'll notice I'm very conscious not to say soundproof because you never want a soundproof room because it would drive you mad. Um, but we've, we've, we've designed it in such a way that the acoustics are as good as if you were in a vocal booth in a recording studio. So you can go in there and make a phone call and it's going to be a very high quality call um, with no background noise and, and no distractions from from other noises and sounds and that kind of thing, um, so that's just a quick example of how we've developed a product for the the, the office market or the furniture market um, that was aided through our knowledge of acoustics from the music industry background. Um, but it's just in in other ways, it's just a cool part of our culture. It's a it's a differential that um, that sets us apart. You know, we we don't want to be kind of considered just 
just a corporate brand that um, you know we're always you know we're out here to, to have fun at the same time as uh, as making money and helping people with their uh, their office and, and education environments. So um, I'm glad that the the music element has kind of stuck stuck with us over the years because um, you know it's just it's just a fun thing. And as I started uh, when I started this, I was saying we have musicians within the company. You know, um, Rocco, who's our warehouse manager. Um, he's a guitarist. He's, he's a fantastic guitarist. Plays in in bands. And then Rob, who's our showroom manager in Chicago, he's actually still a professional drummer on the side. So he plays in in wedding bands and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's cool to to know a lot of high quality musicians. Um, it just makes it fun rather than just dealing with with furniture twenty four seven. And so you've just touched on that. Uh, my next question was. What are the lessons learned from the music industry that you guys were able to apply to design? Other than the acoustics, are there any more of those lessons? Um, that's another great question. Yeah, I think the one for us goes back to, to collaboration. Um, the thing, you know, when you're in a band, you, you learn to work with other people because if you don't, then it just never comes together as a group and it would never sound good. So you've really got to, to trust the other people in the band and, and work with them to get a cohesive sound. Um, and we've tried to, to influence that with our furniture design on the collaboration side too, because you've really got to be able to trust and work with other people in the organization to have a cohesive, you know, whether it's a brand or if you're working on a project together, the best way for that to come together is, is by working as a group as effectively as possible. So I think that experience of Of, of group work in a band setting um, really helped us when we were kind of thinking about how how groups come together to work in a in an office setting also so if you were to describe muso as one genre of music which one would that be <laughs> that, that's an easy one because i think we're all on the same page it would be rock and roll because we don't like to do things the same way as everyone else is doing it we're a little bit kind of uh anti-establishment if you will are just trying to trying to go against the grain just a little bit um and that's and that's you know one of the most fun parts about what we do um you know we're not just trying to do the same as as everyone else out there we're really looking looking to see what works or what people are looking for um and then design those those kind of products but i think you'll see through our our branding and our marketing and that kind of stuff that we're um we're trying not to be a a cookie cutter office furniture manufacturer if you will where we're trying to do things a little bit differently and, and mix things up a little bit um so hopefully that can be our our little rock and roll influence there um and then and then the other thing of course is as brits coming over here we're we, we think we're the kind of british invasion of the the furniture world equivalent <laughs> yeah and that kind of actually shows through um how you present yourself to the public so As a follow-up question, uh, Rolling Stones or Beatles? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I, I, I've been a big Stones fan. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's the underdog of the two. I think most people would say Beatles, but um, you know, I've always, I've always found myself moving towards the Stones more. I'm a, I'm a huge blues fan, um, and the Stones got their start, you know, doing blues covers in in London. Um, and I, I love the fact that they came from those kind of grassroots and, and kept that blues kind of element throughout their career. Um, whereas, you know, the, the Beatles were a little bit more poppy for me. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Stones. I agree with you 100%. I actually right. discovered the Stones. I, I've known some of their albums for a long time, but I really got into it maybe a couple of years ago. And nice. I downloaded um, a huge collection, like almost the entire catalog. 
And I hadn't realized how much uh, blues influence they were. And I mm -hmm. really yeah. started getting into it. And it's really like it's and it what stuck with me really is that it's a British band. But most of the time they sound like an American blues band. And that's I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's it. We've covered a lot of ground and uh, we've I think we've learned a lot about your company. Uh, which was very enlightening, even for me, who has been familiar with it for a while. Uh, is there any last words you want to say for our listeners? Um, no, not really. I mean, with regard to the with regard to the company or the business, um, keep an eye on us. You know, we're always introducing new products. Um, just this year at, at Neocon, we came out with a couple of new things that are um, really exciting. We had a lot of good feedback from there. Um, and as I say, if you if you see us in your town, we'll probably be coming through with a band of some sort. So, <laughs> so that's always fun. Keep an eye on us. But uh, no, other than that, it's been uh, it's been fun. It's been good chatting to you, and I appreciate the the opportunity to be on here. Well, I appreciate you uh, accepting the invitation, and uh, hopefully we can uh, do another one sometime in the future. Yeah, I would I would be honored. Yeah, I'd be glad to. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you.